Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 36, and we're recording on Thursday, January 16th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're the editors of BookRiot.com. Happy mid-January. They're bleak Happy- midwinter. Yeah, we truly are having bleak midwinter here in Richmond. I woke up to snow, which makes me feel the opposite of bleak. I'm you really like happy. Snow. I love snow. It well, makes down me there, wanna... it's like a special thing because it's, you know, you're below the Mason-Dixon line. You don't get it that often. I mean, I loved snow growing up in Kansas and then living in Chicago. I, yeah, it doesn't get old. You're a snow bunny. Okay. Me. I am gotcha. a snow bunny. That's right. I am. Do you ski? Do you do any <laughs> winter gonna, sports? I it's been a decade since I went skiing, and I'm going uh, next week on vacation. So we'll see how much skiing oh, happens I'll send you and a how much. Ibuprofen. Yeah, you're gonna much, be so sore after that. It's first gonna day. be, I think, like ninety percent lying in the cabin watching people ski while I read books, and hey, maybe ten percent skiing. That's not bad. I'm not gonna complain. And welcome back, Jeff. I missed you last week. I was gone last week. Yeah, I'm, I'm back, and uh, we're gonna have a special guest next week while you're out uh, mm-hmm. skiing, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe skiing. Uh, all right, let's get into the news. Um, well, what do you think about So this first one is that the, I think most people know that Gone Girl um, is being turned into a movie starring Ben Stiller, and I only can think of her as... Wrong Ben uh, Man, Ben Affleck. Uh, what did I say, Ben Stiller? <laughs> yeah. That would be a different movie. That would be a uh, Secret totally Life of movie. Uh, Walter Mitty. <laughs> Starring Ben Affleck, and I can't ever remember the name of this actress, but she was Jane in the Kira Knightley Brian Prejudice. What's her name? I, can I never remember. can't remember either. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> the and it's being directed by David Fincher, mm-hmm. and they're rewriting the ending. And Flynn herself is re- doing the rewrite. And apparently, it's like a whole rewriting of the third act of the book. Um, yeah, you know. I'm really curious. I would rather know why this came about than what this new ending is. Um, A lot of people hated the ending of Gone Girl, I think because it is not expected. Um, I don't know if Gone Girl has passed that statute of limitations on spoilers yet, so I won't. Yeah, I think, well, this gets to another story down the the list, actually, but I think we can't spoil. Can't spoil. Yeah. Okay, so no spoiling. Yeah. Uh, There's... It is not an expected ending, I think, if you're used to reading thrillers. But if you read a lot of literary fiction, the way that she ends it, like, is the way that I wanted it to end, um, and was more is more in line. There's like there's sort of an ambiguity to the ending mm-hmm. that that upset a lot of readers. Like, if there's any complaint really about Gone Girl, aside from the fact that it's miserable being in the heads of both of the main characters, um, but that's kind of the point because they're miserable. Um, was yeah. that a lot of people didn't like the ending. So I liked the ending. I thought it was right on for the tone of the book. So I'm a little bit nervous about mm. this. Like previously, I've just been really excited because I think um, Ben Affleck is like what I was picturing in my head is that right? as, as Nick Dunn. I didn't realize it. It was either him or the guy who plays um, the husband on Nurse Jackie. I don't on... know that show. Okay. Tell you. 
yeah, just sort of that, like, the, the, it just nailed it. As soon as they announced that Affleck was going to play Nick Dunn, I was like, oh, that's perfect. Well, two things. First, Rosamund Pike is the actress's right. name. Good it job. just came to me. Uh, second, I mean, I'm not, I think, I don't know if we talked about this before on the show, but I'm a all for film adaptations of books. Like, I'm not yeah. one of those people like, oh, they're going to ruin it, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, um, we've talked about I think about if, that. if the book can't stand up to a different version on screen, then it doesn't deserve to be protected is sort of my mm-hmm. thinking of it. Um, so I'm interested to see it. I like that she's doing it. Um, yeah, it's glad not it's clear fun. to me that if she was strong armed into it or as part of the contract or maybe in order to get Affleck to do it, he said he, it's not clear from the articles we've seen where the idea to do it came from, who did or did not want to do it. She's, if she was, forced or strongly encouraged or as a part of the contract to getting someone on board, a different third act was part of it. It's not at all clear, um, but she's towing the party line um, and being a good soldier and saying, I'm excited to do this thing and to take another crack at this thing and see mm-hmm. how it goes. Um, film doesn't do ambiguity very well. It's one of my longstanding drums to That's beat. That's true. Books do ambiguity a lot better. Um, and sometimes one, if, if a literary fiction which Gone Girl is a crossover literary fiction thriller type book. Um, you know, one reason that, say, Beloved didn't do well on film, I think, is there's a lot of ambiguity there. Uh, mm-hmm. And you actually have to film something, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And there's know? a lot. I mean, I think Beloved is an interesting example, too, because there's just a lot in Beloved that's not filmable that yeah. needs to live in your head. Right. And ambiguity can live in your head and on the page in a way that it doesn't really work on the screen. So it makes sense to me that this is a different kind of ending. I'll be curious to see. It sounds like it's going to be substantially different. Yeah, it, it says it says here that when Ben Affleck read the pages for it, he was like completely shocked and said that Flynn literally threw out the third act and started from scratch. Right. So anyway, that that's going to be really interesting to keep an eye on. Um, I think this is going to be an interesting movie. Uh, phenomenon that comes out uh, later this year, I think. Yeah, I'm really, I'm excited to see it. I hope she sells a ton more books because of it. It's, there's actually um, two She's Gillian. already sold a ton of books. Yeah, and there are two Gillian Flynn movies. There's a film adaptation of um, Dark Places, which is her second uh, novel, right. um, coming out later in the year as well. And so now I'm just going to hold out for my favorite Gillian Flynn, which was her debut, Sharp Objects, um, for someone to please make that a film, too. <laughs> okay. Uh, hold the thought of book sales, because there's something that's not on the agenda I want to do follow-up on, but we need to do our first sponsor, BookBub. BookBub, it's um, – so we've talked about this before. We're going to talk about it a little bit in the, the, the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, ebooks and what they're doing. A lot of us are buying ebooks. And one thing that's happening is that a lot of publishers and retailers and even authors and self-published authors of different kinds are experimenting with variable pricing. Not something that you and I grew up with, right? Like right. if we were lucky, we'd go into Barnes & Noble and be like the 20% off table or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but here we're getting down to a couple bucks, 99 cents, three ninety nine, all the way down. Um, and so what BookBub is doing is they're collecting a bunch of these discounts. And you can go sign up, easy to sign up free to sign up, uh, tell them what genres you like, and then every day you'll get an email with a couple of ideas for you uh, of discounted eBooks. And we're talking one, two, three dollars. Uh, I signed up for it and everything I've seen so far uh, is one, two, and three dollars. Um, so the other day one came through for me, the Alexander McCall Smith. And that's one of those, I've never read it before. It was two bucks. So I bought it. It's on my e-reader. If I want to try it, I can do it at some point. I think it's kind of a nice 
you know, uh, it's like a sampler, but you get the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's right? a low risk discovery yeah. thing. You don't, you might not want to pay ten ninety nine to try an ebook by an author you've never read before, but that you're kind of curious about. Um, but when it shows up for like seventy five percent off and right. it's a, a dollar ninety nine, why not uh, try it and see? And if you discover a new favorite author, then you've got That's a new right. favorite author. And if you hate it after fifty pages, then you're only out two bucks. You know, I was thinking about that. I wonder the the percentage of people who will stop reading a book um, goes up if you've paid less for it. It must, right? If you've only paid two bucks for a book, you're probably willing to say, ah, that's not for me. But if you Mm -hmm. paid, well, certainly if you've paid 15 bucks for a paperback or 20 bucks for a hardcover, I wonder if you're more inclined to like marshal on through. Yeah. I wonder also then like what the DNFing numbers are for library books, like how quickly people put down books that they check out that are free to them. Anyway, so with BookBub, you know, Hmm. give yourself 20 bucks and you can load yourself up with seven, eight, nine, ten titles. Um, There are 20 categories to choose from, mysteries, romance, biography. These are things you've heard of if you're a reader, these genres. Uh, And it's available Kindle, iPad, Nook, Kobo, Sony, Android, and et cetera. I don't know what the et cetera platform is. I'm very interested to find out about it. That's a joke for uh that's you know because i'm doing i'm working on my routine <laughs> I for the have cat in fact circle. had enough coffee to catch that yeah this there morning. you go uh they've had two million subscribers and almost uh, over 25 million ebook downloads from bookbub and there's one oh one other thing this is good too is that it's not just a fire hose of everything that gets submitted to them that they have um editors picking things so only about 20 percent of the deals submitted to bookbub get featured and you get sent out. So there's um, some filtering that can happen for you, which is something I think we all need now, especially, again, this relates to a story we're going to talk about, how many books and authors Mm -hmm. there are out there. So that's BookBub. And you can go to bookbub.com slash bookwrite. That tells them you came from us, help support the show, or you can just go to bookbub.com. That's fine too. But if you go to (laughs) bookbub.com slash bookwrite, that will let them know you heard about them from us. Maybe we'll sponsor a show again. Maybe they'll just think, yes, Rebecca and Jeff are awesome. And we like that. Just as much, really, I'd have to say. And if you try it, you like the service, you discover a great new book, uh, let us know. You can hit us up at podcast at bookriot.com or on Facebook and Twitter. Um, We like to know when you guys try the stuff that, uh, try the services that sponsor the show so we get a feel for what's really useful for you. That's right. All right. So I'm going to jump back. We're talking about book sales. You wanted um, Gone Girl to sell a million more copies. So we've been following the Harper Lee saga. Yes. Yeah. Did you see this thing? No, now I'm it scared. It was actually no, no. It's not scary. It was um, <laughs> well because now there's a bunch of court documents coming out, ah, right? Okay. And one of the things that came out was the Harper Lee's royalties for To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh. So okay. So do you want to play um, guess the number? Let's Man, play guess the number. Jeff, uh, how, you kill, always do this to why, me. Why this is this is give the people what they want. They like this. <laughs> okay. I just I'm just saying that caveat yeah, caveat like emptor like yeah. Uh, so how much? Money? Do you think Harper Lee makes off to kill a mockingbird every month right now? Any guess oh. what her royalties are for Harper? It could be any. I mean, this is super unfair. Okay, so it's probably what like fifteen ninety nine in paperback. No, because remember they have those like little mass market ones. They're like six bucks. Oh right, yeah, those little light purple ones. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's like six ninety nine. Right. And schools probably buy them. Right. Buy the truckload, and then nostalgic adults. Buy them by the truckload. Mm-hmm. I don't know. $20,000 a month in royalties. You know what? You're not that off. $9,500 a month. <laughs> Only like off by 50%. Well, no, but if you would, if I would have guessed, I would have gone anywhere. up. I, I don't know. Like I start doing the math, like how many people call that their favorite book, how many there are around the world. Like mm-hmm. 
Um, one thing that maybe keeps it down is it's not available for a cheap ebook. Remember, we talked about that a while ago because of all this right. uh, stuff. Right. So there's a, $9,500 a month for To Kill a Mockingbird, which isn't bad 55 years <laughs> Not too shabby. Yeah, when I was trying to decide what my guess was going to be, I was trying to, I was weighing the tension between all of the established readers that don't need to buy another copy of To Kill a Mockingbird up against potential new readers for it. And I would bet the bulk of that has to be students. People who are young enough, yeah. they haven't read it yet. Right, yeah. Where, where, where were you when you acquired your copy of To Kill a Mockingbird? <laughs> right. This is kind of a funny idea for a, a post. Probably most of us don't remember. It just sort of appears. Once you have like 200 books, probably one just um, apparates. Just one just joins your library. <laughs> you don't have a choice for it. Harry Potter reference. I uh, accidentally stole my high school's copy of yeah, huh. To Kill a Mockingbird, right. so I have that light the purple mass market paperback. The old discount. Yeah. <laughs> That's well. That's interesting. Good for yeah. Harper Lee. I don't know more about it because the rest of the article is behind a paywall, so I only got the lead. I'm like, well, uh, that's all I need. I wonder how much how that compares to like 25 years ago. Her royalties and the difference of book prices, but also the difference of the book being newer or like know. 30 years ago. I don't know. I don't know. I want to know things, Jeff. Now I know. You've, like this is just like a little happy. Well, data we keep talking teaser. about that. One of these days, we're going to spring for a Bookskin membership. <laughs> Right, someday. And, and, that, and that, for those of you who don't know. And, and on that you? day, the internet will never see us again. Right. right. We're going to be tweeting out the most like random book sales <laughs> facts of the world. It's like, James Salter sold three books last week. Um, and books, again, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of the, the most reliable source of actual sales data. But the subscriptions we looked at, like 3,000 bucks a year. Yeah. Something crazy. I mean, really, only agents and publishing houses use it. Um, because they're not uh, crazy. And like we would us. really, I don't think we would ever climb out of that. No, we'd be gone. <laughs> Between that and Edelweiss right. uh, and Oyster, we'd just be like total, total internet book hermits. Um, show title. Uh, yeah, anyway. yeah, I was just about to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's go on to more news. So the big thing, I guess the thing I've been thinking about most this week, because again, super book dork, um, the turn of a books that the morning news hosts every year. This is, Year 10, believe it or not, announced their final list uh, of contenders and judges. So those of you who don't know, the Morning News every year, this time this time every year, has a tournament of books in it's... which they pick, well, usually 16, but the, a final field of 16 that compete against each other in much like the NCAA tournament brackets. Yeah, Sweet it's like March Madness for books. And then each pairing is judged by a judge. A guest judge who then um, prints and publishes a decision on the morning news site deciding which one um, they prefer over the other. Uh, it's mostly a literary fiction field, uh, all but mm-hmm. really one. I'd say we'll talk about this in a minute. And then the National Book Award winner and the Booker Prize winner are guaranteed spots. Yeah, in it. they don't say that out loud. But it happens. But I've been following this closely since, uh, blah, blah, blah. how old am I? Uh, for 900 years, I've been following this closely. <laughs> and every year they've been following it, those two um, are guaranteed a spot. So um, th- those this year, that's James McBride and uh, Eleanor Catton's Illuminaries. So this is something we like, and a lot of people who like books on the internet follow this. Um, and the list came out. And I, today, probably actually in 30 minutes from right now, mm-hmm. so by the time the show is up, I will have done a, br- a full breakdown of the list. Um, but I'll just read them real quick. So at night we walk in circles by Danielle Aracon. Uh, I just threw a little accent for you. A I'm going to butcher there. some of these names. The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton. 
The Tuner of Silences by Mia Kudo, The Signatures mm-hmm. of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert, How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia by Mohsen Hamid, The Dinner by Herman Koch, uh, The Lowland by Jhumpa Lahiri, Long Division by Kize Lehman. K I E S E. I was Kisa. Kisa. I've never heard of this guy. You heard? I haven't either. Yeah. Okay. The Good Lord Bird by James McBride. Hill William by Scott McClanahan. The Sun by Philip Mayer. A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki. Eleanor Park by Rainbow Roll. Rowell. I don't know. Nah, it's probably Roll. It's probably whatever the opposite is of Rolling. (laughs) The Goldfish by Donna Tart and the People in the Trees by Hanya Yana Gihara. Yes. Um. And then there's the pre-tournament there's playoff a, round. They have this playoff, which I guess... Um, is being judged by Geraldine Brooks. Which is pretty sweet, by the yeah. way. Yeah, and that's Life After Life by Kate Atkinson and Woke Up Lonely by Fiona Maisel, which was one of my favorite books of 2013. I did read that. I, I might, I'm stoked uh, to see it. It's a weird novel about a washed-up cult leader who gets involved sort of accidentally with the North Koreans. Oh, and, Lord. Yeah, <laughs> and is trying to put his life... Like His wife has left him and taken their kid, and he's trying to put his life back together and his cult is all about um eradicating loneliness from american society and all of the members isn't that what these... all cults are essentially about yeah but this is like actually it's stated mission oh that's the, the not the connotation that's the denotation <laughs> right the that is the the stated mission is to eradicate loneliness from contemporary culture it's called i think it's called the helix and all of um the cult members at a certain level get these helix tattoos um, but it, it it was it's so funny and it's just weird and it's out in paperback now so you should read it um i'm interested to see what geraldine brooks will do here and i guess she that writes leads... pretty conventional yeah novels I... like some i love her historical fiction um march i liked caleb's crossing people of the book and uh, the year of the plague, or wait, and was neither that one about of the these plague? is really conventional. I haven't nope. read the Kate Atkinson Life After Life. It's but, time travel and stuff. We right, know, yeah, and, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what Geraldine Brooks will do there. But that leads into talking about well, how, judges, right? How this the list is idiosyncratic. You know, the folks at the Morning News always pick um, some big books that everyone was talking about, but they always they also throw in just some of their favorites that were under the radar but that they thought deserved a bigger yeah. you know, a bigger well, readership. Like, here's an example you and i i mean last year we pay was attention to this we pay attention to this pretty closely mm-hmm. and there are one two three there are three books on here i haven't heard of right me too um and then a couple of them i've heard of but but just sort of vaguely if you're not us uh you really probably have to really you know i mean if we did our own list of stuff we want to see on here it'd be equally idiosyncratic probably yeah. i don't know and anyway. so it's the the list is idiosyncratic and then also the each each decision really depends on that individual yeah. judges take and on which books the tournament they of books get. people assign right. to those mm-hmm. judges so the and i just finished editing your thing um yeah. your write up of this so i'm thinking also about how um the you know, the pairing between the judge and what you can guess about the judge's preferences makes like that to me is what makes this most interesting is yeah. seeing like, like John Darnell, who is from the band, the mountain goats, like wondering which two books he's going to get right. and taking what you know about him from his Tumblr, which by the way is awesome. And oh, really? Fall- yeah, he has a great Tumblr. I'll have to check um, that out. 
you know, and then guessing like which books right. he's going to. Well, I think one thing it's about, not just about which is objectively or even if you could be objective about it, which book is better. The headline judge uh, this year is John Green, probably for most people. I think for me, it's Geraldine Brooks, but whatever. Um, and so just an example, he writes, as I wrote in the post, like angsty teenage romance is his yeah. thing. And well, look, lo, lo and behold, there's Eleanor and Park uh, by well, Rainbow Roll. And also there's uh, Lizzie Skernick is yeah. a judge and she has a great um, imprint called Lizzie Skernick books where she is reissuing vintage YA. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe she gets uh, a pairing down the line that also contains. Well, and Rachel Fischleiser ran the Tumblr book club and mm-hmm. they picked Fangirl by role. Right. So there's, you know, she has an affinity. So these are the kinds of things you get to, and sometimes they pan out that, Something you picked out as a uh, factor does, and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I remember what it was a year. Will Wheaton was the kind of headline judge, and he got the Sisters Brothers versus something I loved. Oh yeah, it was two years ago. I can't remember. It was like some like you know straight ahead literary fiction, and he just you know I was like as soon as I saw the pairing, I'm like <laughs> you're like ah oh. oh, he's gonna pick this. <laughs> Not that I didn't like Sisters Brothers, like it's a fine. It also went on to win the whole thing actually. Yeah, but I was like oh I can it's a it's, you can just you see can how just it's I can go. see how that's going there. The brackets aren't out yet. I guess the brackets will come out after the yeah. pre-tournament playoff round, and that's when we'll get to see who judged, who set up to judge each round right. and, and really start speculating. I love that there are so many moving parts of this and so many variables to guess about, you know, who's going to get the books and then who's going to pick which book based on all the different things that you know about mm-hmm. them. But uh, it's also really fun to argue yeah. with like that. Last year, I don't think I agreed with a single one of the no, decisions. I, yeah. Like every time there was a new decision out, I was like, seriously, like, <laughs> the tournament of books is just unapologetically idiosyncratic, but I think sometimes to a fault and sometimes judges yeah. take that as like a couple of years ago, there was one where the, the judge, they write these nice long decisions and about halfway down the judge said like, I wasn't really interested in the premise of this book. So I didn't even bother reading it. Here's the winner. I read, I read one of them and I liked it and that's the winner of my face off. And that kind of bothered me. Um, right. But there's, there's always bound to be something. And I do like that they just own uh, how completely about personal preference it becomes. Yeah. Um, and last year, The Orphan Master's Son um, by Adam Johnson won. Mm. And that leads me into my, and we can maybe end it here, handicapping. Ah. Who, who you actually think is going to win. And there's this weird correlation between the books that win the term of books and the books that go on to win the Pulitzer Prize in the following year. So this would be the 2014. So the the Pulitzer Prize will come out after this is over. Mm-hmm. And it's not a surprise, right? Because right. the kind of judges that are on this, I think on the whole are representative of the kinds of people that are on the Pulitzer Prize board, which the the board that picks the finals for the Pulitzer Prize are writers, but the larger board is made up of people from a lot of different walks of life that read the books. So mm-hmm. it's not a surprise that there's some correlation there. So for the first time I had the idea, and I should have had it before, is like, which of these books could you see winning the Pulitzer Prize? And kind of reverse engineering. Yeah. And if you put it in that light, The Goldfinch. Or The Sun. I think The Sun the could do. The Sun, yeah. Philip Meyer's The Sun definitely is a potential... The Good Lord Bird won the National Book Award, and sometimes there's cross-pollination between the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award. It seems a little quirky for the mm-hmm. Pulitzer for me, but 
the Orphan Master's Son is pretty quirky. Yeah, and I'd like to see Jhumpa Lahiri be nominated for the Pulitzer. I haven't read The Lowland yet, but it's, by all accounts, a little bit uneven. Ultimately good, but a little bit uneven. And so I don't think her chances of winning the tournament of books are very good for that reason. And probably also the chances of winning the Pulitzer are not very good. Um, And I said in my write-up today that I think, I don't think it's going to win, and I don't think it's winning the Pulitzer Prize, but for people who like books um, and that pick up a book because it's in the tournament and there's a lot of people that do read mm-hmm. these and find books through this. I think a, a lot of people are going to be pleasantly surprised by a tale for the time being. By yeah. Zeki. That's the one of the finalists that, um, that I've already bought last year, a, a bunch of us at book riot set out to read the whole field yep. and I just can't, yeah, talk myself into doing no, that I this, can't year. Either this year. But I, I bought a tale for the time being, and I bought How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia, yeah. which I'd sort of been circling around for a while and had been hearing a lot about. But I'm excited to try that. I think our friend Kevin Wynn liked that book a lot. I yeah. remember that he was one of the first people that I saw talking about that. He did, and um, and interestingly, I asked my Facebook friends, who are mostly not book industry people, at the end of last year, what the best book they read in 2013 was and a tale for the time being came up a lot okay yeah. so granted many of them are like librarians and english teachers no that's but that's but, that's who these i mean yeah, that's who we're like, talking to yeah and just yeah. they're just people who you know love books and participate in book clubs and uh, or maybe you know people who just read a handful of books every year but aren't hardcore readers and that that keeps popping up not just in publishing circles but in you know average normal readers um it, i think is interesting maybe that's a sleeper here it would be cool to see it go all the way yeah i think it's gonna have a hard time getting getting past the goldfinch and the other um, 800-pound gorilla, the luminaries. Yeah, what if what if some poor judge had to read uh, the luminaries <laughs> and the goldfinch? Yeah, well, that's what, 1,800 pages or 1,600 pages? Uh, mm-hmm. Or I think paired with the sun or something like that. To right. the luminaries, I mean, the thing about the luminaries is the people who I've seen talk about it that got through it loved it. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems to be one of those deals, like, if you can steal your courage and pick it up and, and do it, um, it's a lot of fun. It's complicated and confusing and um, intricately plotted. So that kind of, you know, that, that could be a kind of thing that people, um, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's all going to depend well, on yeah, One of our writers, Greg Zimmerman, yeah. just finished it and really loved it. And Greg takes notes on all of his reading, but he took really detailed notes to keep all of the strands straight in the luminaries. Mm-hmm. And he made that a public Evernote link. So if you're thinking about taking on the luminaries, we'll drop the link to Greg's awesome notes into the show notes and you can take a look at that and help yourself stay straight with what you're reading. Yeah, good. So um, we might talk about the tournament again, maybe when it's over, we get down to the final four or something, but uh, the tournament books is out and that's a fun midwinter diversion for all of us nerds out there. Okay. What's next, man? Um, oh, I teased this before. We we're talking about Gone Girl. Oh, yeah. And you said, you know, I don't know if we're in spoiler ter- territory or not. And I said we'd come back to this. And the reason we are in in spoiler warning area with Gone Girl, um, it didn't come out that long ago. But the New York Public Library released last week their most checked out books from 2013 in adult fiction and adult nonfiction. I didn't see any of the lists. And the, the number one most checked out adult fiction title, Gone Girl by yep. Gillian Flynn. Gillian <laughs> Flynn. I cannot keep that straight, except that I know I can't keep it straight. <laughs> Um, so the top 10 Gone Girl, The Casual Vacancy, mm-hmm. um, by our friend Rowling. Also a 2012 release. Also a 20- The Inferno, Zebrizzle. <laughs> and The Mountains Echoed by Colette Hosseini, Revenge Wears Prada, The Devil Returns by Lauren uh, Weisberger, mm-hmm. Until the End of Time by Daniel Steele, Fifty Shades of Grey by E.L. James, A Wanted Man by Lee Child, Fifty Shades Freed by E.L. James, 
and the sins of the mother by Daniel Steele. So, so two E.L. James, two Daniel Steeles. Yep. Yep. Rowling and Brown. Oh, we didn't talk about snubs from the turn of books. Uh, and the Mountains Echoed, I guess, is a snub. I didn't write about that today. Um, but that mm-hmm. was the Goodreads Award winner, pe- the, the People's Choice Award for right. Best Fiction last year. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that on my guesses um, because I, I, I kind of know these kind of – I mean, I, I'm doing this long enough. Like, this wasn't going to be the book that makes yeah, it. Yeah, you know the sensibilities of yeah. the morning news enough. I would like – I would love just – I mean, somebody tweeted this week that there's a surprising number of Dan Brown references on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know why? Because it was the most read – it was one of the most read and it was right, the most bought book last year. It was like the top-selling hardcover from Amazon yeah. last year. And it would be cool if there were an auto spot for that oh, in the, the tournament mo- the, of the, books because the most pop the most bought adult fiction yeah it's not you know it's not literary fiction and very rarely is the top selling hardcover in any year right. the, the type of literary fiction that the morning news is going to pick up and certainly the inferno is not perfect but like mm-hmm. what a rompy fun read and i think i mean we've said hey, it a million fans. times like, I mean, it does apologize. exactly what you want a dan brown book yeah. to do uh adult nonfiction. uh run these lean in uh, by mm-hmm. Sheryl Sandberg, Which, Let's Explore Diabetes with Owls by David Sedaris, uh, My Beloved World by Sonia Sotomayor, Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. The wow, Power there's of a Habit. 2012. Yeah, those are so several 2012 Charles releases. Charles Duhigg, Thinking Fast oh, and Slow, which, which has we been both out for really a while. Liked, yeah. Right, which we both really liked. Bossy Pants is at number eight, and that's like a 2011 release, mm-hmm. I think. Proof of Heaven. Uh, and then uh, Wild, Wild by Cheryl Strait, which is also 2012. 20, 2012. So there's a, I guess it's not a surprise that there's it's like the bet, like the the big books of 2012 really bled into 2013. I don't know if that means that people. Well, there's a lot of holds, right? Yeah, there's so people there's have to so wait. Much, there's so much we don't yeah. know. Like circulation is directly tied to how many copies of the yeah, book the library right. has available, so that they can be checked out by. Right. A higher number of people. And I tweeted and asked if they had more numbers in the um, New York Public Library. I was like, didn't respond to me. So I don't know if that means that they don't have more numbers or they have them and they don't and they want to tell. Them. Yeah, I'd like to know, say, YA. But, I'd be interested yeah, to see that. Well, that. And I would love to know, like, Gone Girl was the top circulating and we had 100 copies in right. the NYPL system and those 100 copies were checked out how many thousands of times or the same for like Lean In yeah. by Cheryl Sandberg. I'd and, also like to know like how many more checkouts were the Gone Girl than and how many nine. people are still on the waiting list. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that it could be, be that Gone Girl keeps on top with the movie coming out. Right. And like, what is for the ones that are 2012 releases or in some cases, 2011 releases, it would be cool to see their circulation history. Like I would bet that Gone Girl was checked out even more in 2013 than it was in 2012. Um, because of libraries buying more copies because of more people talking about it with the movie. Um, maybe the same for JK Rowling, um, after the big cuckoo's calling Right. Reveal drove that one up. Mm. Would be, it the would ocean be really at the end of the lane probably will appear here in 2014. Yeah, I, I, I bet that if we got to see the YA numbers, I'm sure that the Rainbow Roll titles are on it. But maybe um, if the 2012 books carrying over to 2013 popularity, maybe it was the Fault in Our Stars for YA this year. Mm. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So anyway, we find that stuff interesting. I don't know what to make of it. I just want more. I want more, 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 more crunchy numbers. More, more crunchy numbers. Okay. Uh, more numbers, more studies. Um, Booklamp mm-hmm. uh, put out a infographic, I guess is what we call these, these things. Mm-hmm. And Booklamp is a um, book discovery site. Um, they do some interesting things and they have this 
tool called Genome, I believe it's called. Yeah, it's the Book Genome Project. Book Genome Project. And they collect a lot of data um, about different kinds of books. And this is how long is the average book? Based on 85,000 85, commercial 000. titles. That's a lot. That's a, that's a representative sample size. Yeah. So <laughs> did it say overall? Or just by genre? Did it say what the... Uh, the following breakdown is based on the word count by genre of the roughly 85,000 commercial okay. titles. Okay, so there's not sort of an average for every book, but it's broken down by genre. So the longest, the genre with the longest average book is fantasy with um, 122,000 words, which that's not a surprise, right? Right. You see all those Wheel of Time book and the Sword of Shannara and the Hobbit and these are giant books. And then there's historical fiction with 117,000 yep. words, which also makes sense. Like right. Big, you know, big sprawling. And the shortest is romance at um, 76,000 words. You just get straight to the business. That's right. Um, let's see anything else. Literary fiction is really right in the average, right in yeah, the middle. Right 101,000. Um, let's see. I'm surprised. I was really surprised that the biography autobiography average wasn't longer. Mm. Um, but I think maybe that's because the biographies that make the big, uh, you know, biographies that get big attention in book media are like those huge right. um, David McCullough historical figure um, biography. Well, autobiographies of a tend to be a lot shorter too. Right. I guess so if, if it was just broken in, out biography and then right. autobiography, if you, I guess if you different. average those giant like presidential memoir dad mm -hmm. books that are 900 pages up against like a typical memoir that's 300, that makes sense. Right. And then the other stat, um, set of statistics were about the most common perspective. Uh, first versus third person. Mm. I guess there there aren't that many Josh Ferris's out there writing in second person, so those are going to be a minuscule percentage. <laughs> Although um, that does make me swoon. You like that? You like? I second love person? second person. Yeah, uh, you would. When it's well, when it's done really well, I love second person. Right. Um, we can talk about that some other time when we're uh, not uh, <laughs> when trying we're to be. When we're not trying to be marginally interesting. Um, and the one Wait, that was that a out, diss on my second person preference? No, I like it too, but uh, who cares? <laughs> All right, let's, let's <laughs> right, go. Fair Talk to me about pie charts. Yeah, Jeff. so the the genre that had the most well, yeah, the most striking imbalance between first and third person was romance. Ninety percent of romance written in the third person. I am not surprised. Well, you read some romance, and I don't, so, so you would know. Yeah, typically, or I don't know, I, I can't say typically of the romances that. I read it is common for the um, focus to shift sort of in alternating chapters between the um, heroine and the male right. love interest. But in we third see, person both times. Right. We see what she's up to and then we see what in he's up to. In omniscient third person, right? They know, right. The, the narrator knows what they're thinking. Right. The narrative knows what they're thinking. And so you're in, you're inside the woman's head mm -hmm. when she's being seduced. And then you're inside the guy's head when he's thinking about how to seduce her and how lovely she is. And, um, and so that works really well for, romance and i think it provides just enough distance like you're inside both of those both of their heads but it provides enough distance that you don't really feel like you're hearing another person tell you about the sex they're having right um so and then for well, science fiction 79 percent third person interesting suspense 69 percent um thriller 73 percent so then on the other side the genres with the highest rate of first person narration i mean not surprisingly biography autobiography Autobiography, I mean, that's just a stupid parent. Right. I mean, come on. Um, but outside of that, literary fiction with 45% of titles yeah. using um, first-person narration. So it, it is interesting that literary fiction really leads the way in first-person narration. Um, 
I don't have a good reason for that. I mean, it was the first. Well, I mean, I probably we joke if about, I thought about this, we but. joke about literary fiction being like people in Brooklyn having yeah, thoughts. But I think that so much literary fiction is driven by characters' internal lives, right? Yeah, and that is a that's a thing that is compelling in first person. Also, when it's done well, a lot of writers talk about how difficult it is to do first person right. um, really well and to make it believable that you that you are inside that character's experience. But when you're going after somebody's internal life rather than this happens and then that happens and here are the consequences of those those actions first person makes a lot more sense i mean i guess it also says to me that um if you're interested in writing a romance or science fiction novel maybe think about first person to stand i mean i mean that might be interesting right mm-hmm, it might be see if you can do it um i don't 50, know it's worth noting that 50 shade the 50 shades books are written in first person oh is and, that right That's and so right. are um the sylvia day Mm. Uh, bared to you in the series, the trilogy. I think it's a trilogy that she yep. wrote oh. as well. Oh, let's move on. I uh, two things that are off the menu that I meant to put in the agenda. You're just so full of surprises. I know. Today. I really am. Um, Sylvia Day just signed a new deal. Ah, eight figure deal cool. for two books. That that for those of you keeping score at home, that is in the ten plus million dollar range for, for two Sylvia books. Day. You said two books. Two All books. right. Who'd um, she sign it with? Uh, I want to say SNS, but I'm not sure. Not sure. Okay. Uh, second, Dishy, we got some feedback because we were talking about um, that uh, City on Fire. Remember that that guy that got the big book deal for that? And we had people oh, right, write and say, right. "Oh, I like book news, book deal mm-hmm. news." So I was paying attention. And the other one that's interesting, and by interesting, I mean hate fire inducing. <laughs> James Frey just signed a two million dollar book deal. For something that sounds an awful lot like a Hunger Games ripoff. I just saw that this morning, too. Yeah, I don't like two million bucks. Uh, I don't like this story, and I hope it fails. <laughs> Is that too strong? I don't think it's too strong. I think I would feel a little bit more generous about it if it were an author that hasn't already been in hot water um, for yeah, maybe. sort of multiple offenses against publishing. <laughs> right. But this to me feels like James Frey's third strike. You know, you fabricated your memoir. Yeah. You had to apologize tearfully to Oprah um, for right. that. And you have this sort of young adult fiction factory where yeah, you right. unapologetically underpay young writers for the privilege of writing a book that you're going to sell and mostly profit from. So I just feel like I don't trust James Frey's intentions I don't either. I don't like anything about this story. Yeah, Nothing about this, this do is, I like. This is bad news bears. All right, let's run through some other stats real quick. Um, story came out, uh, pub, the uh, American Association of Publishers. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry, book stats by the American Association of Publishers. Their 2013 report came out about the calendar year 2012 in the book industry. It's, again, one of these giant expensive things that we're not going to shell out several hundred dollars to pay for, but they did some highlights. And the one highlight that sticks out to me is that the bullet point, the first thing on their summary is trade publishing actually experienced significant growth since 2011. So over the last few years, publishing is growing. I think that's just helpful to keep in mind. Right. The death of the book has been greatly exaggerated. Now, things got declining since then, but we've sort of hit a little bit of a bottom and there's a coming up. Some of that's Hunger Games, some of it's Fifty Shades, whatever it is. It's book, happening. It's happening. Uh, we'll keep our eyes on that. But I thought that was just note, as you hear, books are dying, your friends are talking about, ah, no one reads anymore, lies. Not true. Not true. Um, so anyway, I wanted to throw that in there because that's cool to talk about. One Fight of the reasons, link bait with data. <laughs> one of the reasons it might be um, coming up is that ebooks are growing mm-hmm. um, much faster than 
trade print books, which are sort of moder- sing- low single-digit declines mostly. And I've, I've often wondered if ebooks would allow people who live in English-speaking countries like Canada, the United States mostly, to have broader access to books in their native language if they're not a native or first um, language English speaker. Which a huge percent of, percentage oh, yeah. of the American American's, population is yeah, not a native English speaker. huge and growing yeah. uh, mm-hmm. every day, especially Spanish language. Um, readers. So there was a story in the LA Times this week talking about how what a boon e-readers and e-books have been to especially Spanish-speaking um, readers. And this Amazon in a um, maybe someone got drunk, but they they released some statistics. <laughs> someone over there got Which, went off the reservation. Such a rare occurrence. Yeah. Um, according to Amazon, sales of foreign language e-books in English-speaking markets, including the US, were expected to rise forty percent in nice. twenty thirteen. Uh, meanwhile, Audible.com, is Amazon subsidiary, said mm-hmm. that foreign language audiobook sales are increasing at more than 25% annual rate. That's so great. And then foreign publishers or um, overseas imprints of uh, domestic publishers are seeing double-digit increases in their sales to mm-hmm. U.S. market. So um, US, uh, Random House uh, Mondadori, which is the Spanish, the, the Spanish language imprint of Random House in Spain, said the U.S. has – the U.S. is now 19% of the world of the publisher's ebook sales compared to 10% a year ago. So it's doubled mm-hmm. in a year how much the U.S. makes up of their Spanish language books. Which, I mean, I remember going into Bar- that big Barnes & Noble the Plaza that you and I so fondly remember, right? Yeah. In Kansas City. That, um, and there was like a little Spanish language section, but it was like embarrassingly small. Right. The Barnes & Noble that I worked in here in Richmond had a Spanish language section and it was like it was one bookshelf wide right. with like four or five shelves top to bottom and it was the same size just randomly as the large print offerings mm-hmm. which i would i just have to think that we have more people with uh, interest and oh, need so for spanish more. language books than we had you know with need for right. large print um and it was all it was also notably at least carried in the stores only really really big titles like the latest dan brown and the latest james patterson get translated um into spanish and right. made widely available but if you were looking for spanish language books, at least in Richmond, um, you were only really in print had available to you in a store that you didn't have to order online, the big um, popular books. And if you didn't want to read that, then too yeah, bad. Too bad. Yeah. Forget about the midlist. Forget right. about it. Um, before 2010, only about 10,000 Spanish language print titles were in stock online at booksellers in the United States. Mm-hmm. Today, Barnes and Noble website has nearly sixty five thousand Nook books available in Spanish. This is this is just such a happy making. Yeah, it's good. Story. This is we, good. We talk a lot about it, um, about how there's never been a better time to be a reader, and there's really never been a more exciting time to be a person who's involved in books. Um, and we did a piece on the site earlier this week where a bunch of rioters wrote about what we think are the most exciting things in publishing right now. But this is just really hard evidence that readers have more options available to them than ever before. And particularly when you're talking about opening up access to underserved populations, um, that's really starting to happen. That's Very really cool. great. And especially as you know, more and more Americans, uh, we're talking about America here, so I'm sorry to you listening to other countries. I know um, you have your own issues, but we don't know about them. If you have a good story about this, we'd like to hear it. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Um, but it's a really uh, great it's a really great story. And we talked with the National Endowment for the Arts report about reading uh, a while ago. And we did talk about it in that episode how the most significant declines, or not declines, but the 
rates of reading among um, people who identified in those surveys as um, Hispanic were much lower than those who identified as white. And this is one of the reasons I have to believe there are just not mm-hmm. as many books available um, in ways that are easily found. Um, so that's that's something else to think about, too. Uh, okay. Let's do our second sponsor, which is us. Yeah, we are taking our second sponsorship spot again this week um, to talk about our quarterly box, which is my pet project and a thing that um, we're just having a ton of fun with at Book Riot. Uh, we started back in the fall offering a quarterly subscription box where for 50 bucks once a quarter, um, you get a box filled with books and bookish stuff uh, that we love. You know, notebooks with quotes on them, cool pencils, uh, all that stuff that qualifies as like book fetish. Uh, we probably won't do t-shirts because we can't figure out the magical t-shirt size that fits a thousand people yeah. at the same time. Uh, but coffee mugs, uh, just sort of cool bookish accessories, things that make our reading lives better. Uh, the first box went out in December, and it included a pretty, pretty hard cover of Lexicon by Max Berry, which was a favorite book across Book Riot contributors last year. It had handwritten post-it notes in it that are exclusive from the author uh, with sort of inside information and insights about the book, um, a little note from him, and a bunch of other cool bookish things. The subscriptions are open for the second box right now. It'll ship on March 3rd. Uh, you have until February 26th or until they sell out uh, to sign up and you can uh, go to quarterly.co slash products and then click on book riot uh, to sign up there. It's 50 bucks a quarter. We're having a ton of fun packing it full of stuff um, that's worth well more than the $50 that you pay for it. And it's just a cool way for us to share books that we love that we think are under the radar that you might not know about yet um, with book riot readers and yeah, listeners, we, there's there's we, almost a thousand people signed up for it. So we far. send uh, a bunch of emails back and forth, like when we find something, like, oh, this would be great for the box, or what? What do you think about this? And so it's been a lot of fun to try to to, to try to try to find things that are going in there. So the court, the second box is coming together, um, and uh, get on board while you can. There's not yeah. a there's not an infinity of them. So if you're thinking about not. doing it, doing it, there's a there's a number that we can't go across. But once we get closer to it, we'll say, but if you're thinking about doing it, don't wait till the end because right. there may not be boxes. Right. Quarterly.co slash products. Okay. You want to hear about new books? Yeah. Let's hear about new books. There's a lot. Okay. So it's all paperbacks this week. Everything that I'm excited about, and it looks like the titles you put in yep. too, are paperback releases of some of our favorites of 2013. Uh, and so by the time you, that you guys hear the show and already actually these are available for sale, um, the first one that I want to talk about is actually all three of mine are short story collections. Ah. Um, I want to show you more by Jamie Quattro, which is a debut collection of short stories that came out from Grove Atlantic. Um, it was one of my just like knockout favorites of 2013. And I blurbed it on the site and said that I wanted to lick it. And then the hardcover came out with that blurb on yeah, it. it did. <laughs> so things you say on the internet live forever and anyone can find <laughs> anyone can find them but these are gritty dark stories um set mostly in the american south quattro looks really um unflinchingly at things that are hard to talk about the first two stories in the collection um are about infidelity there's a really weird story um that's set I, it feels like slightly in the future about a marathon runner where um all marathon runners receive a, a statue that they have to carry strapped to their bodies while they run the marathon um and if you take off your backpack that's carrying 
your statue, you're disqualified from ever running again. Uh, and like society believes that marathon runners have to carry these statues so that they remember the value of hard work what? and your, your statue, like, like you sign up, you have to run a bunch of qualifying races and then you're allowed to sign up for your first marathon. And then after you do, your statue just comes in the mail and you're not supposed to read anything about your personality into your statue, except that everyone knows you kind of are. And a certain like select group of people, instead of getting weird sexual statues which most of them are get actual art kinds of statues it's really strange but awesome like if you like karen russell but you like i was gonna even... say i better warn us uh, i better warn the folks that all three of your short story <laughs> picks are weird, weird they are. i mean they're awesome but weird I, they're weird yeah i like weird in fiction but i really really like weird in short stories hmm. and um quattro it, it's just a killer these these, these books or the stories in this book are great. I sat down last night to just reread a couple of them before um, we started talking about it. And I basically reread the whole thing. Uh. <laughs> I couldn't, I just couldn't stop. Um, the, yeah, just, there's a lot of sexual stuff, but in a complicated, dark way, she just asks a lot of really interesting questions. And it's one of, I want to meet her and just be like, what is it like inside your brain? <laughs> Uh, they're great. Um, really great. It's awesome out in paperback. Now the cover is beautiful. Um, I just highly, highly recommend. And since I mentioned Karen Russell, also her latest collection of short stories, Vampires in the Lemon Grove is out in paperback. Um, if you were holding off in hardcover, I think now is the time to try it in paperback. Um, to me, this is her least awesome book, but all of her books are pretty awesome. So it's still okay. Um, there's a, my favorite story in that one is called Reeling for the Empire. And it's about uh, teenage girls who are sold by their families to make, you know, to make money and help the families survive to this evil guy who owns a factory and turns the girls into human silkworm hybrids. And mm. they wake up every morning with threads coming out of their wrists and they have to hook themselves up to looms um, to release the threads from their bodies so that mm. they can be used to make silk. Um, it's so creepy. Karen Russell just owns how profoundly strange her brain is. And I, <laughs> I love, I just love that. Um, and then the last girlfriend on earth by Simon Rich, who uh, is a young guy. He's a writer um, for, Saturday Night Live. And most of the stories are like two pages long. Um, they have really interesting, funny premises. There's one that's written from the perspective of a condom that lives in a guy's wallet from the time he's in high school until <laughs> the time he's like up through college. Um, and the various like, you know, this uh, learner's permit came and moved into the wallet today. <laughs> and, and then learner's permit leaves and is replaced by driver's license and a MasterCard. <laughs> it's they're just quirky and, and fun, mm. smart, weird. Yeah, you're right. All three of my picks today are strange, but they're <laughs> but they're great. I love a good weird short story. Those are good picks. Um, two novels. Mm -hmm. uh, one that was somewhat controversial last year, The Flamethrowers by Rachel Kushner. Um, some people thought it was great. Some people thought it was overrated. I read it. I thought it was really good. Uh, and it's a story. It's a, a young woman who is an artist in New York in the 1970s, New York in the 70s is a kryptonite of mine. Um, but it's all, she gets involved with someone who is also an artist. And it's about, um, some of it is about the unfairness of the gender roles at the time. Mm. Um, she's trying to figure out how to be an artist and also have a relationship um, with this guy. 
Um, she rides a motorcycle. There's a great scene of her riding, racing motorcycles across the salt flats of Utah. Oh, cool. Yeah. At the beginning, a really strong opening. Um, she goes back. He's an Italian and he's an heir to a, a giant Italian motorcycle company. Um, that is actually falling apart. So she gets involved in like <laughs> the Italian motorcycle strike. Um, that's throwing his family into chaos. And, um, it's, it's an interesting book. I, it's a kind of novel. This is going to sound weird that would, you could easily see the main character be a guy, you know, he's riding mm -hmm. a motorcycle. He's trying to be an artist in the seventies and gets a, caught up in this labor rebellion. Um, and it's not the kind of book we're used to seeing, I think, with a female protagonist. And so that has a whole extra interesting layer. Really beautiful sentences. Again, it, there's some ambiguity there. Um, the plot isn't especially strong because it's mostly about her trying to figure out and seeing the world around her and trying to come to some sort of terms with who she is and how she fits in it. Um, and then we have a genre pick. Um, I haven't read this because I don't read horror stories. But this is one I see a million people talking about this last year, The Shining Girls. And I don't know how to say this. Uh, Lauren Bucus. Bucus. Uh, she's a South African writer. Um, and this one is about a time-traveling serial killer uh, who has to keep killing The Shining Girls, is the name of the book, the specific victims, in order for him to be able to continue time-traveling. And something happens, and someone finds out about him, and they're trying to track him down, which you can imagine for a time traveler is kind of a that's kind of a rough thing. Um, <laughs> not my cup of tea, but if you like horror and thrillers, um, everyone I know who likes horror and thrillers has really found this interesting. So that's we like to give picks that aren't just for us. Here. Yeah, I don't know anybody who's read The Shining Girls who didn't love it. Yeah. It seems like if that's in your wheelhouse, it's just going to ring all your bells at once. Right. So um, take a look at that if you like mysteries and thrillers especially with a little bit of a twist to it. Well, is that our show? I think it might be. Well, let's do one last. Here's a new book that's going to come out sometime in the future. Let's just do this one real quick. <laughs> and now Gilly this is, this is, th is this Jillian Anderson? This is Jillian. This She's is Jillian. Jillian, I think. Multiple Jillians today. Uh, yes, Jillian that's right. Anderson, who played Scully on the X-Files. I can't keep which one was Scully and Mold. I was never an X-Files person. so I'm actually, I never watched the X-Files when they were on, but I've been watching them on Netflix mm. um, the last couple of years, sort of to fill in the holes in my heart left by Lost when oh, Lost went okay. bad. And also because uh, Vince Gilligan, who was the creator of Breaking Bad, was involved in the X-Files. And like, you can see some of those storytelling things ah, start to that's interesting. come together. Um so she she played Scully on the X Files, and she's going to write science fiction novels. Which she I think she wrote and directed one episode or maybe yep. two episodes of the show. Um, it's going to be called the Earth End Saga, and she's going to have a co-writer, this guy named Jeff Roven. I don't know anything about him. Um, and the first novel is going to be about a child psychiatrist um, who treats kids who are involved in natural disaster and war. And they find a quote unquote uniquely troubled young girl. So that's, that's the I hook. will read the crap. Are out you? Of that are you book. for real? Yeah, that's interesting. I'm curious. Wait, it said sci fi, right? It's science fiction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's sort of like sci fi grounded in reality and like anything with psychology, I sort of can't resist. Yeah. Um, I, I'll give it a shot. I'm curious. Let's see. What did it say when it's coming out? October. Yeah. This year. This wow, year. Okay, great. We're going to pay attention to that. Um, so it, it's actually the first title. In um, Harp, excuse me, uh, Simon Simon Schuster. They're calling it Simon Four Five One, in order of Fahrenheit Four Fifty One. It's a new ah, science fiction imprint. imprint. Cool. So that's going to be cool. 
and worth paying attention to. Um, so there we go. We got mul- we got a Vince Gilligan. We got two. We got a Jillian and a Gillian. All for you today. <laughs> Man, if someone could get Vince Gilligan to write novels or like oh. ooh, like ebook serials. I would. Mm. I think that man understands serialized storytelling. I think I you're would, on to something there. Someone please make that happen. <laughs> it's not like he's going to get out from under the expectations tied to Breaking Bad for TV anytime soon. So yeah, Vince, well, call me. It's time to do something different. Maybe after his next series is a horrible disappointment and letdown, he'll turn to writing no. books. You can hope, right? No. Um, all right. On that note, we're going to end the show. Yes. You can find us, uh, the show notes, bookwrite.com slash podcast. We'll throw in all the links. You can find the the titles of the books um, we talked about in new books and all the stories we talked about today. Find us both on Twitter. I'm Reading Ape. She's Rebecca Shinsky. You can find Book Riot on Facebook, Twitter. So I don't. We talked about this um, off air last time. I don't know how many of you guys actually read the site, bookriot.com, where it's a site about books, a bunch of different kinds of content. Mm-hmm. We have over 50 writers who write about all kinds of things. Um, and there's new stories every day. So and- check that out. We can tease now that very shortly we will be introducing you to one of our oh, yeah. uh, writers. Rita Mead writes a column for the show called Dear Book Nerd. Um, I think we've talked about some of her columns before on this show. That's right. Uh, but it's an advice column about life, love, and literature uh, where readers, book riot readers, can write in and ask questions about their reading lives, stuff like my girlfriend never bought or never read the book that I gave her as a gift. What do I do? Right. <laughs> um, yep. What if you're the only person in your family who's a reader? How do you? Um, sort of spread that love. Uh, all kinds of interesting questions come in from readers and uh, reader writes a great column and we thought it would be a fun show. So very shortly, you will also be able to find the Dear Book Nerd podcast um, starring Rita with a rotating cast of uh, guest hosts. I just recorded the first show You're with the her. You're the first victim. You're the it first was a one lot, up. It was a lot of fun. It's a fun show. It's, it's a half a hour show that's going to come out every other week um, to start, but we'll have that out for you soon and I uh, hope that you'll enjoy that as well. Oh, and if you like this show, you can uh, rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show, and we read all of the feedback. We do. Um, We've made some changes uh, to content. We've made some changes to sort of how the show runs based on uh, listener feedback before. So we appreciate all of that, and uh, you're taking the time to do it. If you've got specific feedback or you have a link you want to share with us or you have a reaction to something we've said, you can also email us podcast at bookriot.com, and I look at those. And uh, I'll re- respond to you. And if there's anything for Rebecca, I forward it on to her. And oh, she'll yeah. Get somebody, back as well. somebody wrote in asking uh, where to start with Judy Bloom. And I got to write a really fun email one morning about <laughs> what Judy Bloom books to read. So please send us your questions. We'll be happy to answer. All right. And we will see you guys next week. Talk Have to you later. A good one.